your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. We are in a wartime. Those were the words from Dr. Catherine Motherway, hospital consultant at University Hospital Limerick during the pandemic, head of the intensive care unit there. And she worked in, unfortunately, one of the most dramatic places when COVID-19 hit. And she is now retiring from UL Hospitals Group and joins us on the line this morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? So when I say retiring, is, is today your last day? Today's my last day on the front line, yes, I hope. Tell what so far it's the plan. How are you feeling? Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you in a few weeks' time. People say, how are you going to do it? I said, I don't know. We'll see. This is the plan. I made a plan. I have a roundy birthday coming up. I have some leave to take. And I'd always planned to retire when I was 60, if I was lucky and healthy enough, and to um, do something different. Mm. But, I mean, are you, are you walking around today going, oh... I don't know, this is the last time I'll do X, the last time I'll do Y? No. No? No. we go down, I'll finish my day's work, and I'll do my day's work properly, and then I'll think about it. I'm kind of a bit in the now person. I, I, I don't think about too much about what's past, or too much about... Well, I do think a bit of what's in the future, obviously, but um, I have a plan to... Uh, we have a, a holiday coming up. And I'm going to visit my brother in Australia, who's been home since the pandemic, and um going to spend a few weeks travelling around Oz, and then I'll come back with the Christmas, and my daughter's getting married next year, so I'll have a bit of organising to do with her. Right. So we'll I, have a bit of fun, hopefully. I tell you one thing, I'd be a blubbering mess if it were my last day. I'd be going, crying, uh, but oh. not, not you. You're just no. quite a practical individual. We afraid so, mm. yeah. Well, thankfully, that's why you were head of the intensive care unit. <laughs> um, so did you find... I mean, you're talking about, you mentioned yourself retiring at 60, but like, does it feel like you've lived 10 years in the last two years with everything that's gone on? God, it doesn't, it doesn't. And sometimes, I, I don't know, sometimes I think it doesn't really happen. I know that sounds a weird thing to say, but the other day I said, I was actually in a restaurant last night and uh, there was full of people and there was no masks and it didn't feel like it was real. So that, that all that that happened, but... It was a very difficult two years for the whole lot of us, but we got through it, thankfully. Mm. And when you hear some people talking about it, you know, at a slight distance, and we keep the fingers crossed that that's the case, we have the yes. winter to come, of course. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, people are, are questioning and, and asking, was this required and was that required? And did we go over the top and all of that? Experiencing what you experienced, Catherine, what, what are your thoughts? I don't think we went over the top, but I do think that it takes about maybe three or four years after a pandemic to see what you did right and what you did wrong. And then hopefully to learn from those lessons and apply those lessons to the next crisis, be that a health crisis, the building crisis, the climate crisis, whatever crisis it is. So I do think you need some distance to look at what you did right, what you did wrong. Because at the beginning, you didn't know everything. And there was a huge amount of knowledge acquired very, very quickly. I mean, they sequenced that um, virus very quickly. And and there were certain, you could learn from the past. You could learn from the previous pandemics. And we will learn from this one. 
and people will compare countries, which you can't really because we are a very young population. We're not very densely populated. You can't really compare us to the north of Italy, whether Italy, whether we're much older with a very dense population and that live in a very different way. But you can learn lessons from everything. You, can, oh, you should always learn lessons from the past and looking at it and dissecting it wouldn't won't be a bad thing to do but that should be done in the spirit of learning not in the spirit of blame or we shouldn't have done this you shouldn't have done that and what is your message to for example families who had to make the sacrifice of loved ones of theirs dying alone in hospital during the height of covid that was probably one of the most difficult things that we did and certainly I can assure families of patients who died in our intensive care unit they were not alone they were with staff members and that would have happened on the wards as well we stayed with them as uh, uh, certainly for every last minute I, I, I still remember you know being asked to say particular prayers we did our best to allow visits but I think that was one of the most difficult things that we did because in Ireland, death is is actually done quite well in terms of our culture and our, our way of dealing with it and the gathering of families and being with the deceased and being with the person who's dying. And it's very important to us. And I think that was probably one of the most difficult things. And ideally, they should, if people are having a problem with it, they should obviously go and get counselling. They should go and talk to the people who are taking care of their relatives. Because I think they'll find that we were with them. And we talked to them. And we prayed with them. And we sang with them sometimes. Mm. We're chatting to Dr. Catherine Motherway, who's head of the intensive care unit at University Hospital Limerick, was during the pandemic. And today is her last day before she re- retires. And, and, and can you reassure those people that it was a necessary sacrifice for them to make because it seems to be one of the most painful legacies uh, of the pandemic. It was a sacrifice we made at the time when we didn't have knowledge um, and we didn't know how difficult it was for people and uh, we certainly had, during one of the waves, I had multiple members of families in ICU, (laughs) all of whom were very sick. So it was necessary to protect them and to protect staff and to protect other patients at the time. And as soon as we felt it was safe to do so, we started to let people in as soon as we could. Um, and But it is a decision that caused us much angst, I have to say. And um, it's probably one, if I was going to do it again, I mightn't do, but because it caused so much grief, it caused grief for us, let alone for the poor misfortunate family members. Um, but we 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 did it all over the world. In fact, in 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 a spirit of trying to protect people. But I also hope that when we were communicating with families, that we told them we were with their loved ones at the time, and we talked to them. Yeah. And, um, and just expand a little bit on why you would say that that you know, if if you were doing it over, you mightn't do that in particular. Well, hopefully the next time we'll have, a, you know. Maybe you'll just well, like we let people in very early in the ICUs, but it was it was it was uh, particularly at the end of life. But we didn't at the very very beginning, and that was a decision that we we found very difficult to take. Um, and and we were split as a group. Uh, a number of us wanted to, a number of us didn't, and we had uh, 
we ended up coming to a consensus that it was safest not to. Um, I'm not sure I'd do that again because in the IC we were in single rooms. It was more difficult in wards, you see, because in the wards you were going to be in the room with lots of other people. And then you were exposing both the relatives and the other people to a lot of visitors, which was, you know, that that was the thing that, that drove us to the, the need to try and minimise cross-infection and minimise people getting infected. And uh, obviously, um, we didn't, we, with asymptomatic carriage, we were all worried about the fact that we could actually infect people without knowing we had it. But if I was doing it in the ICU again, I think I might just say put the PP on them and send them in and it's up to them to decide if they want to risk it. Because for some relatives, they couldn't come in because they were sick themselves. And they had um, illnesses that precluded them from visiting. So we, as soon as we knew enough, let people in at the end of life. Um, but it was very, very difficult for the first few weeks and months. It did create much um, sadness. Mm. And outside, outside of ICUs and outside of hospital settings, and you'd be aware of this, you know, from the wider community, there were other types of sacrifices made by everyone, really, you know, oh, absolutely. Um, uh, children of a certain age and, and throughout, um, you know, um, obviously yep. businesses were deeply impacted, um, working lives, you know, yep. you, you name it. Um, and, and again, will it be done differently if, God forbid, we have another pandemic in 10 years? I don't think the what we call the non-medical measures, the staying at home, the all of that. I think that will still be required. The you know while you work out what the transmission is, how it's transmitted, because essentially the virus moved with people, and the locking down of people is what actually ultimately um, sort of slowed the spread. And the logic is you slow the spread, so you get more information. You get more therapeutic treatments and eventually, as you know, we got a vaccine very fast. Um, but that was the case. Like So the logic was always to slow the spread. So there will always be, I think, lockdowns and restrictions of movement to a certain point. I don't think any of us thought that we would ever see a Dublin City empty with nobody moving. And it's cities all over the world empty, planes not travelling. But that was all designed to try and slow the spread so that while you were slowing the spread, the hospitals could cope, which they did in Ireland predominantly. We didn't get overwhelmed like hospitals in other parts of the world. We didn't run out of oxygen like India. Like we had time to prepare and to build up certain systems. But, and I think that will always happen with a new disease that appears. Um, so there will always be lockdowns, there will always be limitations to your movement. It's how fast then that science can respond and find some way of dealing with the particular illness is, is, is what will matter. Yeah, We're chatting to Dr Catherine Motherway, who's head of the intensive care unit at University Hospital Limerick on her last day before she retires. Um, do you ever have nightmares about what has happened? No. No, I don't think so, no. I have nightmares about lots of different things. I have nightmares about not answering a correct question, a maths question in the insert. But um, no, no, I don't actually. Yeah. Shall we talk it out, I suppose? We do talk a lot at work about all of this stuff. You know, right. we talk with colleagues. And, 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 and that helped. Uh, and do you believe that your successor will face another pandemic or will it be 100 years before we see one again? 
I don't know. We, I mean, if it was get to head a pandemic in 2010, 2011 called swine flu, which absolutely was very difficult, but that only affected half the population, the younger half of the population, because the older half of the population had immunity to H1N1 from previous flu pandemics. So I do think there will be another similar episode, but possibly not for, you know, one would hope another um, 60 or 70 years. So I think there will be bad flu seasons. Um, but generally, something like this happens every, I think, 50 or 60 years. But you'd have to ask a virologist that, to be yeah, fair. I'm probably I, outstepping I my that, yeah. area and, of expertise. And, 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 and do you feel as well, then, that we can reasonably confidently face this autumn, winter, that it won't be like the previous couple? I don't think it will be in, as bad in terms of the ICU load and the mortality because we're a very vaccinated population. I mean, we've had a huge uptake of vaccine and hopefully people will now take up their boosters. I had mine the other day. Um, I'm of that age. So just get your vaccine. It'll help prevent you getting really sick from it and requiring hospitalisation. And we have a lot more immunity now than we had two years ago. Like most of the population have been exposed to this virus either by infection by vaccination, I would say, over 90% of us. So it is very different to what we had before. So unless the virus mutates in a very unusual way, I think it will still cause an impact, as all viruses do, you know, and particularly as we go back in, if the, as this lovely weather continues, it's useful, but when we go back indoors, I think there will be another surge in cases. But I don't think it will make people as sick okay. as it did, obviously. Um, you became a very well-known face and voice. You know, you were on television a lot because you were head of the overall society as well. Mm-hmm. Um, did, did that startle you a bit? I mean, did you find people sort of recognising you in a way that they never would have before? Well, it did startle me a bit, yeah. And yes, the other person does recognise me. They oh, recognise my voice, actually, which is weird. But they did a bit, yeah. And, sure. and how do I'm they sure generally react to you? Do, do people still do, do they come up to you or what do they say? Uh, occasionally they say you're the woman from the television and I say I am <laughs> usually I'm, I'm buying something off them in a shop or something you know? yeah and sometimes no did on themselves which is great yeah because I, I, I used to think a lot about you know the, the, the people who were on television every night or, or the people who became remarkably well known you know it, often in sections of medicine where they would never have expected to have a public profile indeed yeah. yeah, that's true. It was a bit weird, but it was necessary to talk to people and see, make sure they were safe as much as we could. Eh? Catherine, what did it mean to you to be Limerick Person of the Year? Oh God, I was um, a bit humbled. And I think that really is something that I got, but on behalf of all of the people who work in the hospital, everybody who works in the hospitals, and um, everybody who worked in the front line, you know, paramedics, you know, nurses, doctors, porters, cleaners, everybody who works in the hospital, we all went to work into the best we could and hopefully provided as good a service as we could. And I, I would take that as a sort of a, um, a mark of respect for the efforts that the entire community in healthcare made, mm. as opposed to just for... And what are you going to do now, six months from now? You talked about those initial plans that you have and it sounds very enjoyable and well-deserved. But as you pointed out, like you are only 60. I mean, mm-hmm. are, are you going to find yourself going, oh, hang on, um, I'm not sure I really enjoyed this retirement gig. Oh, yeah, I've no doubt I'll do something. Yeah, I, I've noticed something. I have a significant interest in organ donation and I work with organ donation transplant Ireland as part of my job. I might continue to try and work with them. 
Um, we'll see. But I said I'd take a sus first, sus biog, and see what I'm going to do. Brilliant. And um, hopefully I'll travel a bit. My husband and I would hope to travel a bit now that we're allowed. There's lots of places in Europe we haven't gone to yet, so we need to travel a bit, see what happens. And my, I'm also a farmer's wife, and there's never, never, never a shortage of work in a farm. Yeah, you're not wrong there. Um, no. And are your roots Limerick? I mean, I know you're a Cork woman originally. I'm a Cork woman, and I live in Ballinasloe, would you believe? Do you? Oh, really? I do. Cheaper, so that was a fair commute. Five. Yeah. All right, Catherine. Well, listen, um, sincerely, thank you for your service. Um, uh, fair play to you for, for getting to today <laughs> in, in one piece. I have, to get, I have to get to this evening. I know, I know, I know. Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And um, I, I hope that you have a very happy uh, retirement. And sure, you never know, you mentioned with organisation and other things, we might be chatting to you about that down the line too, another very important cause. Indeed. Great to talk to you this morning. Enjoy Perfect. your final day Thank on you. the job. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That's Dr. Catherine Motherway there. She's retiring today as head of the intensive care unit at University Hospital Limerick. Your views, your news, your Limerick today with Joe Nash on Live 95.